Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, good morning. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Looks like most of you did. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, can we pray again and start over? Is that a. Well, this past Thursday, we celebrated Thanksgiving, and uh, it's a time in our country where we set aside a day to focus on the blessings that God has given us and realizing that we couldn't get those on our own. Um, that God Himself has blessed us and given to us things that we could never give to ourselves. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed while we intentionally kind of allow our minds to think in that realm is, and it really hit me this morning as I was watching the, um, the short video about the, the mission that we help support down in uh, South America. It really hit me that the more that we have, the less likely we are to be grateful. Does that resonate with anybody else? Like it, everything becomes so common like, I should have this because, you know, I've had it. And I should get this because, you know, they have it. Um, and then we get it, and then we forget how we got it. Like, God blessed us with whatever we have, including material, not, just in, not just material things, but everything. Whatever we have, we've been given that by the Lord. And so, one of the things that our minds started rolling on a couple weeks ago as we began to prepare for this sermon, because uh, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, was just this area of thankfulness. And what do we see in verses 17 through 21 that has to do with being thankful or being grateful? Because what we believe is, and what I think we all know is, is that as a Christian, thankfulness should kind of be our go-to, right? It should be our reaction from the blessings of God on our lives. Like, that should be a normal thing for us, but... Unfortunately, sometimes the more we have or the more blessed we are, sometimes we can forget how blessed we really are and be grateful and thankful for that. So as we read today, we're going to just talk about three things very quickly about what we should be thankful for. Um, in this passage of First Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at just five verses, 17 through 21. <coughs> the Bible says, Peter wrote to the church churches there, If you address as father... The one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life. Inherited from your forefathers. But with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But as appeared in these last times. For the sake of you, for us. It's really good right there. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope 
are in God. I want us to see kind of three things in this passage. I'm not going to, we're not going to exposit the passage. We're not going to hit the stuff really hard. Some of you are going to say, he didn't finish all of that, and I'll be the first one to tell you I left a lot of meat on the bone. But today, let's just put our minds in a place since it's Thanksgiving, um, this, what we celebrated this past weekend, and let's look at some things that are here in the Scripture that we should be thankful for that sometimes we overlook because of the commonness that we have with the things that we're going to talk about. So look at the, the, the first thing we should be thankful for is that our Father is the judge. You see that there in verse 17? You see it? He says, if you address his Father, the one who impartially judges. Have you ever been judged unfairly? Yeah, that was the reaction of last hour too, right? That's all of us. We've been judged unfairly. Now, the story I'm about to tell you is, is a little funny, but, you know, real in my life still today. Still a little bitter over it, to be honest with you. Still working through that. When I was in eighth grade, it's a good way to start, isn't it? I'm 46, so you do the math. When I was in the eighth grade, I decided I was going to try out for junior high basketball. As you can tell, this is not really the physique for basketball. But I was a confident kid. So I thought, I'm going to make it because I could really shoot the J, the jumper. <clears throat> I, I practiced. I, I, when I would get home from school, they said, this is when tryouts are going to be. And I, I went home and I practiced. I would even just run around the house just to kind of, you know, because in basketball, you got to have stamina. I knew that much, you know, and I knew I wasn't in the best of shape, though I was an eighth grader. And so I, I, I did all kinds of stuff. Practiced my dribbling. I practiced my, my shooting. I practiced my layups. I mean, I would be out there until mom and dad made me come in the house. And I did this for a couple, two or three weeks. I mean, religiously, like it was, it was all I thought about. And I thought I'm going to make it. You know, my parents bought me some, bought me some uh, um, uh, um, basketball shoes. The What do you call High tops, right? Uh, I don't remember what kind. They, who knows they even make those kind anymore. But, I, I mean, I was ready. So Coach Maxson said, hey, here's when the tryout's going to be. Everybody, after school, we're a couple-hour tryouts. When I got there, there were probably only 25 or 30 people there. And I thought, I got a pretty good shot. I mean, I'm in eighth grade. There's some sixth graders here. Obviously, I'm going to be better than them. And, man, I, I mean, I, I showed my stuff. I dribbled. I, I shot. I passed. I mean, I did the whole thing. I was running the, 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 the drills. I went home real confident. I got back the next day, ran straight in that morning because coach said, here's the thing, in the locker room, the people who have been chosen to be on this year's Selmer Junior High basketball team will be listed. If your name isn't there, you're not on the team. So I scanned the names. I'm still looking for my name. Tom McCormick was not on the list. I thought, well, maybe Tommy McCormick, Thomas McCormick, T.R. McCormick, something. Give me something. Nothing. Nothing. Coach Maxiden, still not over it. I couldn't help but think, what if my dad had been the coach? Right? Like, surely mom would not have let dad cut me. See, my dad saw me working out those few weeks. He, he saw the diligence with which, I mean, it was even in my prayers, people. 
I wanted to be on the team. My dad watched me as I labored to do that. And he, I'm sure as I, as, as, as I got out of the car that morning or off the bus or however I got there, that my parents had thought, oh, Lord, be with Tommy today. Right? I felt like I'd been unfairly judged, Stan. Like he didn't see the real me. Like, is an hour really enough to see it? Is two hours really enough to, 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 to figure that out? And listen, while that's a little bit comical, it was real in my life. And for some of you, you've been through much tougher things than to be unfairly judged to make a, a, a squad. But when the Bible says here, when Peter exhorts us here to think through what it means to have a father who is the judge, who judges impartially, he never gets it wrong. He never gets it wrong. You know, a key word here in verse 17 is the word father. For Christians, God is our father. Do you hear that, that relationship, that family relationship type word? God is our father. This wasn't difficult for me to understand and still isn't because I had a really good father. I, I have a really good father. And so this is not a hurdle for me to jump. I don't have a difficult time understanding the concept of having a good father who judges. Some of you may not. Some of you may have a very difficult time um, because you don't have a great example as a father. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing here. It's conjecture on my part. But maybe that's why it's so tough to relate to God because it's tough to relate to your dad. But listen, live vicariously through what I know about my dad. A good dad. A dad that loved me, an amazing, amazing father, provided for me when I couldn't provide for myself. Does that sound like our father? He loved my mom, my brother, my sister. There wasn't a favorite. He attended every sporting event that I ever participated in, except for that, that uh, awful tryout. He supported me, encouraged me in whatever I did. He was loving and kind. He is loving and kind. He loved me enough to discipline me. He always judged correctly because he knew the real Tom. He was the impartial judge. So when I read that there's an impartial judge who's our God, that makes perfect sense to me, right? Provision, but one who judges me correctly. Max Anders has had this quote in his commentary. He said, this judgment is done impartially, literally, here's what it means, without receiving face. In other words, not reading someone based on how they look or perform. Not from what's on the outside, right? He goes on to say God's judgment is not determined by outward appearance or pretense. Boy, isn't that good? If we could only see ourselves like God sees us. Whatever faces or masks people try to hide behind, they remain transparent to God. God's judgment deals with a person's character, not simply one's actions, which can be faked. God is concerned with individual actions and the internal motivation behind these actions. You see, because I was Thomas McCormick's son, when he knew that I was heading in a direction, in a, in a direction that I should not be heading, he'd correct me. When I acted in a way that was unhealthy, he challenged my actions. When I was being lazy or selfish, he always exhorted me. He taught me how to do it better. He was a good dad. He is a good dad. But in the same way, our Heavenly Father is. And he's better than any dad that's ever lived on this earth.
And for that, we should be thankful today. For he knows us for who we really are. We cannot fool God. We cannot put a face or a facade in front of us to make him think that we are different than we are because he knows us truly who we are on the inside. The Bible says, if we call him Father, is how verse 17 begins. If we, a better way to say it might be this, since we call him Father. We claim him as Father. We don't have to. But for those of us who do, for those of us who call him Father, who proclaim, <coughs> excuse me, who proclaim his, him as Father, who choose to appeal to him as Father, we should be thankful because he is an impartial judge. He's impartial to us. He has no favorites. He loves us enough to be honest with him. And we should reciprocate that love back and conduct ourselves in a way as we are his children and he is the Father. Aren't you thankful for a father like that? Today as we sit here, we don't have to ask him to be a good dad. He just is. We don't have to ask him to care about us or to see us in a certain way because he already does see us that way. He's one who loves and corrects and knows us, not by what he only sees, but by who we really are. Now, for some of us, that might scare us a bit. But that's how he sees us. And he will always judge fairly and rightly and impartially. We should be thankful for him today. As Christians, we hear things like this so much. They become so common to us, they go right over our head, and we're not thankful for it at all. But today, let's be thankful and think on what it is to have a father like that. Secondly, we should be thankful that our freedom has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. In verse 18, he says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable or corruptible things. Peter says, you weren't redeemed with perishable things. This word redeemed has to do with releasing by paying a price for a ransom. You were ransomed. You were paid for. You were bought with a price. We've been redeemed. But it wasn't with perishable things. This word perishable means to decay. It, 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 it's talking about something that has a lifespan. You understand that what God bought us for had no lifespan? It doesn't start and end. Like it, 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 it has enough to sustain itself on its own. We weren't bought with perishable things. We weren't talking about a lifespan or something that decays. No, when, as we lived in this life of futility, he talks about living the futile life that your forefathers or your, your ancestors had. This word futile is a word that, well, the best picture I know of is a, is a treadmill. Right? If you want to go somewhere, don't get on a treadmill. You do a whole lot of running or walking, but you won't go anywhere. That's what futile means. To do it in a way that causes lots of work and energy, but not actually be able to do anything, go anywhere, to have any kind of product whatsoever. He says that our life is very futile when we try to have this on our own or do it for ourselves or make it our own way. Earthly things cannot secure our release from sin and death. Earthly things cannot uh, free us from death, hell, and the grave. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of time. You can't do good, a lot of good enough stuff to make a, a way for yourself and away from sin. Again, this is something that we know so well that we overlook it. And we're not thankful for the blood of Jesus freeing us from what we could never free ourselves from. The people who were going to read this book when Peter wrote it understood this well too when he talked about silver or gold or when he talked about perishable things. He says, gold and silver is perishable, but what you are redeemed with is not. You see, the truth is, the average slave at this time, according to Cleon Rogers, 
would have cost at least 200 of their money units. Up to, now that's the least it would cost, the, uh, at least a slave would cost, but the most a slave would cost would be 700,000 of their money units. To put that into perspective, the average person in that day made three money units per day. So was Peter saying that it wasn't costly if you were to take money or if you were to take gold or silver? No, of course it was costly. But there was something more costly than that. Something that was incorruptible. Something that was imperishable. Something that would last. Something that wouldn't fade away. And he tells us what that is. Peter asserts here what could be more costly than the blood of a person. And more specifically than the blood of God himself. You know, I know we understand this concept because when Veterans Day comes or when we think of people who've served in the military who have served so valiantly and so bravely and they lose their life, there's, there's a couple of things that happens in our hearts. We become, we grieve when we hear of the death of one of those who've given their life for our freedom. Amen. We recognize that, and there's something in our, in our heart where we grieve, and at the same time we're very proud, proud of them. And saying, who would do that for a man? How much do you got to love somebody to give your life for them, to shed your blood for them? What does that even look like? Well, here's the thing. As Christians, I don't have to explain or even over-explain that for us. There is no salvation There is no redeeming quality without the blood of Jesus being poured over the mercy seat for us. If we don't have it, there's not going to be any. There's not another man. There's not enough bulls and, 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 and animals. There's not enough money. Everything is perishable except for his blood that covered our sin. See, Jesus even said while he was here on earth, real love is laying down your life for your friend. That's exactly what he did. It's exactly what he did. As I read this passage, though, I have to really believe that Peter didn't want us to see redemption or the salvation as much as he did the blood. So today what we need to be thankful for is that blood that gave us the salvation that we so desperately Needed and deserved. See, the thing we got to remember is that Jesus' blood was unblemished. He didn't need salvation. We did. He didn't die for himself. He died for us. He didn't need to die to have what he already had. He died to give us something we could never give ourselves. He died for us. And our futile way, our running on the treadmill way of living, would never give us what we so desire in life. Or life at all. Charles Spurgeon has an awesome quote. It's going to be on the screen for you. He said, It seemed as if hell were put into his, which is Jesus' cup. Hell were put into Jesus' cup. He seized it. He grabbed it. And at one tremendous draught of love, he drank damnation dry. So that there was nothing left of all the pangs and miseries of hell for his people ever to endure. Listen to this. 
He gave God the Jesus, gave God the satisfaction for all the sins of his people, and consequently gave Jesus an equivalent for all their punishment. He took what we could not get rid of. God put it on his son Jesus. And Jesus gave his very life and blood so that we could live. I think that's easy to be thankful for today. We cannot run past that. Aren't you thankful for the freedom we've been given from the bondage of sin and death and hell and the grave through the costly, precious blood of Jesus Christ? Praise the Lord. Number three, we should be thankful that our faith is in a God who is eternal. In verse 20, In 21, the Bible says this, For he has foreknown, excuse me, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world and has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. For he was foreknown. Listen, our God is eternal. A couple years ago, Pastor, or two or three, Pastor Vance preached a message where he talked about eternality. Some of you remember this and especially what I'm about to say. He said that eternity is not just eternity future, but there's also eternity past. In seminary, they told us to wait right there to let you think. Eternity past? Never a time that God hasn't existed. Sometimes when we think of eternity, the only thing we can think of is from our human perspective that eternity is future. But there was an eternity past. Listen, our faith is based not on those who've died and are in a grave somewhere like some faiths have. Ours is in a God who not only exists today, but has never not existed. Boy, that'll shake you up, won't it? What kind of God do we have to have that would live forever in the future, but who lived forever in the past? I don't even know how to comprehend that. We need to be thankful in that today. People place their faith in a lot of things. Position, people, money, status, relationships, jobs. But our faith is in a God who's eternal. Our faith is in a God who has everything in hand, past, present, and future. The Bible says, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. This word foreknown, he was foreknown, is what in in the Greek language, it's in the the perfect tense, which means it's completed, and it was completed a long time ago, and it's never going to ever be changed. You say, Jesus came, I already read it, Tom, in Matthew, that's when he came. No, no, that's when he put on a body. But Jesus has been around as long as the Father has been around. Forever. The Bible tells us here that now he's appeared. He's appeared. Appeared means to make clear or to make plain. And why was he made known? For us. Why was he made known for us? So that we could know it. So that we could know him. So that we could know the gospel. So that we could know about the Father. So that we could know about the precious blood of Jesus. He has made himself known so that we could know God. He did that simply for us. Our faith is in that God. That God who's eternal. That God who made himself known. That's who our faith is in. The Bible says he was raised from the dead. Why was he raised from the dead? He gives us two reasons. 
to give us hope and reality, excuse me, to give us faith in reality, something that's real, reliable, dependable. Does anybody think you can't count on God? I know in some times of grief and some times of, of struggle or pain, we can, that thought can cross our mind, but if we think long enough, we say, God is dependable. He is reliable. God always does what he says he will do. He is not a liar. Our faith is in him. He revealed himself to us. He raised himself from the dead to give us faith, but also to give us hope. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Vance talked about hope quite a bit, and you probably took some great notes on it, so I won't try to go back over what he said. But think through it like this, though. Faith is equivalent to hope. Faith is believing without seeing, but it is equivalent to what hope is. But think of it in this manner. Hope is faith in the future. What you're hoping for now is faith in the future. You have faith in God at this moment, but there's also this this intense, because I want to and I'm choosing to kind of hope that is totally confident in what God has said and what he has planned for us. See, our God's eternal. Never been a time he existed. Never been anything created that he didn't create. He was here when nothing else was. And he'll be in eternity too. That's the God that we serve. And now he gives us the faith to understand and believe in that same eternity for our own life. Pastor Vance a couple weeks ago said that our faith is not, our, our hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not a wishful thinking kind of future faith. Our faith is an expectant. Our hope is an expectant, confident kind of faith. My uh, youngest son, Caden, a couple of nights ago, he leaned over to me and he said, Hey, Dad. When you were little, what did you want to be? I said, I hope pastor. That's not what I said. What I said was, I said I wanted to be, I didn't say basketball player either. I would have been shattered. What I said was, I want to be a baseball player, and I want to be in a band. Oh, you should hear me sing. I can't play the spoons, but I can sing. Not really. But I want to, right? Like, that was my dream. I wanted Listen, that was wishful thinking on my part because neither one of them happened. I played baseball through high school, but I'm obviously not in the major leagues now and never was. I can't play a guitar or the drums or I don't even know where to start. That was wishful thinking on my part. Sometimes we live our lives in a wishful thinking attitude. Listen, when it comes to faith in God, a faith in an eternal God, you don't have to wishful think. Our faith is not built on wishful thinking. It's built on the confidence of what God has already said in his word. And you can stand on that. You can, you can stand on that bedrock, that foundation that God has given us. And we should be thankful for that today. In his book, The Complete Green Letters, Miles J. Stanford writes this. <coughs> Excuse me. Faith is not a force that we exercise or a striving to believe that something shall be, thinking that if we believe hard enough, it'll come to pass. That's not what faith is. Listen to this. That may be positive thinking, but certainly not biblical faith. We don't believe hoping God is real or eternity will happen. We have faith knowing eternity will happen, is happening, has happened. 
That's the God that we serve today. God has said it. I opened up by saying when you have a lot, sometimes you forget to be gracious or grateful and thankful for that. Sometimes we have to be prompted to do that. Sometimes we don't. When our kids were little, we used to lay in the bed with them at night and we would say prayers with them. And I can remember some of the prayers were very simple but very innocent in their nature. They weren't praying for, you know, the unreached people groups of the world when they were three. They were praying for stuff like this. God, thank you for my socks. Thank you for my dog, my bed, and oh yeah, my toys. You know, there's a simpleness to that that's real. As Christians, especially if you come to hope very often, listen, we're going to hit you every week and we're going we're to study for you. We're going to be ready and prepared for you and we're going to send you to groups that are prepared for you and we're, we're going to help you with your quiet time and, and, and know what that looks like and you're going to spend time with God and you're going to begin to grow in the Word. And the more you grow sometimes, the more, let me put it this way, not the more you grow, the more knowledge you have sometimes, it can actually be detrimental to understanding how grateful you need to be that I need to be. And what, is, what, should be, what should give us awe and make us stand back and look at the greatness and the goodness of God now becomes so common and so easily understood for us that we overlook it. But you know what? we got a Father who always judges us correctly. We've got freedom because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross through his blood. We have that. We have the Father. We have the blood. But we also have the faith that God's given us in that eternal God who's always existed and never will not exist. He's dependable. You can count on Him. And for that, we need to be the child in childlike faith. Very grateful for the simple things and not overlook everything that God has given to us. Be thankful for everything God has given you. Maybe everything you have, but for sure everything you need. Be thankful for God, to God, for everything that he's given you. But also, be thankful for God. For everything that he's not given you or kept from you because you didn't need it. You know, it's tough for us as Americans. We think we need everything. If they got it, I want it. If she has it, give it to me. If he has it, I want it too. In fact, not only I deserve it. Listen, I'm telling you, the more we get, the less grateful we are. God has given you everything you need, and he's kept from you everything you don't need. We need to thank him for that.